And Father God, Lord, we do come before you. And Lord Jesus, we just, we do earnestly want more of you in our lives at all times, Lord. So we just ask that you would meet us here tonight, um, Lord, as we come to hear more about you, Lord, in your life on earth, Lord. And Lord, that these words would, would penetrate deep into our, into our hearts, Lord, and that we would act them out through the week, Lord, and disciple people, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just trying to greet one another. Have a seat. If you brought your Bibles to the Bible study, turn them to Matthew chapter 19. We'll be picking up at verse 13. Last week we were talking about marriage and uh, divorce and how, how divorce, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, if, if it's anything other than sexual morality, it's a sin and it's a terrible thing. And one main point I really liked from last week is that though divorce may be a sin, it's not the unforgivable sin. And you're forgiven. And, and, you know, God hates divorce. And for the hardness of their hearts, God granted divorce. But we still move in where we are now, who we're with now. And, and, and we move in those, in those things as a family and with, with the Lord Jesus. And then he talked about being celibate. And now, as Jesus is still ministering, we pick up in verse 13. And, uh, and he's going he's gonna to bless some children. And here in Matthew 19, 13 through 30, we'll... We're going through Matthew, but we're also going through Mark when it's appropriate and Luke when it's appropriate. Because when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, it's called the Synoptic Gospels. And if you've been here for any Sundays, you know that synoptic means seen together. And so as we're going through that, we get a better picture of, of the life and ministry through Jesus when we look at him synoptic, synoptically. Also, uh, I've entitled this, uh, this whole series, Be Disciples in Matthew. And tonight's message, I, I titled that, What Cost? because we'll be going, uh, talking about the rich young ruler. Um, but Matthew chapter 19, picking up at verse 13, it says, Then little children were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray. Rebuked him. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for, su- for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from them. It says that the little children were brought to him. It is marvelous that... In the midst of Jesus' teachings on marriage, parents brought their children to be blessed. And today, parents should bring their children to Jesus. He wants to bless them and welcome them into the kingdom of heaven. And again, just re- reiterate, reiterate, re- refocusing on my point that the Lord really appreciate, uh, really sets up marriage. I, mean, it, it's, I, th- I believe marriage is a picture of you know, the, Jesus to the church. And I think the mar- marriage in between us reflects that. And so we, we, we lead our families in the way they should go, and we disciple them, and we pour into our kids. And we take our children to Jesus. You know, more than ever, it seems like as, as, we, uh, as we go on through time, and you know, we could, see, we could see our kids going to college and being dissuaded, or it seems like that, or falling away because of different teachings and and, I, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but 
you know, I've seen, I'm seeing a lot of strong kids, too, that, that don't get swayed to not believe in the Lord or that don't get swayed, you know, to, to just abandon God or whatever. I, you know, especially like CBI, I've seen these kids, you know, to, that just are raised right, that ha- that's had Jesus poured into them. And it's just one of those things as you, as you raise your children in the way they should go and you bring them before the Lord every day, it's what they know. It's, it's a part of them. That in the end, they should not depart, depart from it. As you raise them, it speaks of knowing their weaknesses, knowing their strengths, knowing, you know, yeah, you know you're, you're really good at this and, and encouraging, encouraging them in that. It's a form of discipleship. It was Jesus, it was a Jewish custom to bring a child to the elders on the evening of the day of atonement to bless him and pray for him. Uh, Luke, in Luke 18, 15, it says that they brought infants to him, that he should touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked. So even very young children. It says, let the little children come to me. This also shows us something remarkable about Jesus' character, that he was the kind of man that children liked. And children are astute judges of character. And that's just, that's just the, pers- the, I, uh, the persona, the personality, and who Jesus is. It's he, you know, he, it's, it's easy to come to him, and I think that's something we need to reflect to other people. And he just, it's just the, the, the mindset of, of letting the children come to him, of, of being blessed. It just speaks of, of the whole idea of what the Lord wants, and you can see that as he was talking about marriage and divorce. And, and, he, and he addresses, you know, not everyone's married, but just the idea of family, the kingdom of heaven, and that family aspect, and how we 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 need each other, and it's it's a um, it's a togetherness. You know, love. The, I keep saying this: love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you can see the connection with each other. He laid hands on them. It says, "With this, Jesus blessed the children." The laying on, the laying on of hands, is used biblically as a way to bestow blessings on another. Acts chapter six, verse six says, "Whom they set apart, the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them." Chapter eight of Acts, verse seventeen. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter nine, verse seventeen. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you come, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. First Timothy 5.22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourselves pure. And then I put uh, 2 Timothy 1.6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on on hands. And, you know, it's not like the power of the Holy Spirit only works if you do the action of It's not like it's the ritual hand motion, you know, that God needs you to do to be able to do something on somebody's life. God can, you know, God will do what he wants in someone's life, whether or not you, you lay a hand on them or smack them upside the head. You know, it doesn't really matter. To, you know, but you know, you know what it is? You, literally what it is, it, it reminds me of, of when Jesus went and he kind of, sp- he didn't spit the guy's face, but he spat in the dirt and he got the mud and he rubbed it in the guy's eyes and the guy had to go wash it out and then he could see because he was blind. And it could seem kind of like messed up of the Lord. Like, man, you spit in the dirt and wiped it in his eyes? You know, that's kind of messed up. You know, I remember reading that going, man, that's harsh. You know, but then again, I, and I, I just love it. And you, know, you ever hear things that when it's taught, you, you know, you're like, 
what that is. And this is what I think is, is, you know, when has that man who probably didn't have a lot of people touching him, when was the last time he was touched by somebody? You know, laying on hands, it shows something. It's very intimate. I, I'm not the kind of guy, I don't like a lot of people touching me. There's just some weird quirk about me. It's, it's like, you know, I, you know, yeah, no, I can say hi from a distance. We don't have to hug. You know, it's just some weird stupid thing about me. And, um, and there's just so many issues, but how many people are, are hurting? And, and my dumb quirks, like, who cares about that? But how many, how many people need to be touched? Or how many people are, are, you know, just a handshake or just a pat on the back? Or, you know, it's a connection. It shows brotherly love. It shows the connection. It's, a, it's, it's an action as, as well as you love the Lord like God, as you involve the Lord in your obedience to what he wants and he commands you, go pray for that person because just even touching that human being may make a difference in somebody's life. And so that we, we see the link. It's not just strictly like something like, that's, like the Holy Spirit power is going to work better. It's, it's connecting you to in fellowship and coming before the Lord. Matthew chapter 19, verses, we'll read through it, 630. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to them, he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, and he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is, e- it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? So when they asked that question, they were, they were saying, Who then can be married? Because who then can be married? Because, you know, uh, if you remember, there was, a, there was a couple forms of teaching of divorce that even if your wife, you know, messes up your breakfast, you can divorce her. As Rabbi uh, Hallel taught that back. And so it's funny how, like, the culture kind of influences them and the things that the, the disciples, the apostles are saying. And right here they're saying, well, and who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter a- answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, And surely I say to you that in the resurrection, regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, will have follow, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or, fall, or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and in, inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So going back, there's, in this culture, we have someone, he's coming up, and as, as this, this rich young ruler is coming up to Jesus, Matthew 
puts two words here. He puts, now behold. Remember, Matthew, um, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew is writing, is specifically kind of writing to the Jewish reader, showing a Jewish Messiah. And then you, ha- you have Mark, who Mark, um, Mark's writings would have gone out to the, to the slave world. The slave, because back then in the Roman Empire, there was a lot of slaves. And then you have, you have Luke, and the writings of Luke would have gone to the Greeks and the, and, and the Gentiles. And so Matthew, being a Jew, is presenting a Jewish Messiah. So as, as this guy's coming up, this is an important part of, of what's happening, Jesus' ministry, that Matthew chooses to tell a Jew, pay attention to this. Behold this. And as this is happening, uh, we learn something. We learn that this young ruler was young and he was rich. And it's an, it was very uncommon in the first century, first century Jewish community for a man to be young and rich as well as someone that people respected. Now, you know, it's kind of even true today. You could, you know, maybe, maybe you have like kids or you, maybe you're a teacher or whatever. You know, you talk to children and, you, you know, you could tell them, yeah, you may be really, really, you know, really, really good looking, but I have two cars in a house. You know, it's, it's either you're, you're young and broke and you're old and rich or, you know, to to an extent of having, uh, <laughs> having things, you know, just because your whole life of working or whatnot. Or you have respect because of what you do or, or whatever. You know, like my dad, my, I feel like my dad's a man that has earned respect, whether you, he wants to admit it or not. Like my, I think, when I think of respect, I think of my grandpa, who would probably beat you if you didn't give him respect. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but you don't, you know, Yeah, yeah, I kind of think of, of this rich young ruler as someone who just really had everything going on for him, not just as a matter of, of wealth, but just having the respect. Because for, you know, for, for, to have the respect of the, Jew, of the Jews back then, that was a big deal, even for older um, men, especially in a culture where many of them died in their 50s, it seems like. And so it was unusual. It's unusual today, um, to, to be, you know, really young and rich. But for him, it was. So this man, he may have been a ruler of a synagogue, as I was doing some research on him. Yeah, uh, that you, and he, got, he was used to money and respect. As a young man, away f- uh, from mom and dad, you, you know, you start to value certain things. You start to value free car rides when you're on your own. You start to value top, the value of top ramen. You start to value the um, value of the fast food value menu at... You know, maybe with mom and dad, you ate gluten-free, and you, you know, you got to be on certain specific, and it was grass-fed beef that, you know, was like $14 a steak or something ridiculous. Now that you're on your own, you're like, I don't care what I get as long as it's under two bucks, right? You know, this man had the advantage of having wealth as well as the respect of the people of importance in Israel, in that he would have had great, he would have been a great disciple of Jesus on the surface. But Jesus doesn't need his influence as a disciple, but Jesus wants his heart. If you look at it synoptically, it says, Now a certain, in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, it says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It says he was a ruler. That's why it says here that Matthew says, Behold, it said he had wealth, respect, and power. So you've got to imagine the way that this young man thinks. He can go, 
seemingly as a ruler and has influence, he can go probably to the Pharisees and go probably to the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and, and wherever he goes. They re- he's a young person that is recognized as a man to be respected in his community. And now he's going, he's going to Jesus. And, and it's a good thing on his part that he is. So he, he's made that connection that despite having all this, it's, it's funny that he has all this wealth. Let's assume he has a lot of money. It says here he does. The Bible says he does. It's a safe assumption that he has a ton of money. He can get anything he wants with wealth. He has respect. But still, something is severely lacking in his life. He wants eternal life. And you've got to keep in mind, to a Jew, eternal life, it, it, except for maybe the, the Sadducees who really didn't believe in that, didn't believe in the afterlife. They believed, you know, go for it now. Eternal life meant eternity with God, but they believed that started now. Think health and wealth, kind of along those lines. That God blessed you if you were really, um, if you were off to a good start. So God, you know, in his mind, he should feel content. But he notices something's missing. And it's, it's, well, he's going to the person that he notices what's missing. He notices something's missing. He knows he knows to go to the right source for the answers on what is missing. He, he asks what he must do for eternal life. And keep in mind that a Jew's wealth was taught that God's blessing was in you. And by this teaching of the time, he should have felt that he didn't. And in that, realizing that, or the way he thinks, like, you know, the way the Jews think that eternal life would start now, I kind of agree with that. No, I, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and preach health and wealth and prosperity and all that, but, but eternal life starts now for us. Yes, this flesh will be destroyed. Yes, one day, unless you are raptured by the Lord, your bodies will die. But we have everlasting life, and, and we have, I believe, those certain aspects that, that apply to our lives now. The blessings of the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We have joy, we have faith, we have love, we have each other, and we have the Lord Jesus and we have that peace of God that surpasses understanding. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And we look at something. It says here, if, look, if, if we're looking at it, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So you got to think in his mindset, was he really genuinely thought of himself as he was doing it all right. So why on earth am I missing something? Why don't I feel like I have eternal life? What I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't beat my wife. I don't, you know, I don't kill people. I don't steal. I don't do any, I don't cheat on her or whatever. But why am I missing something? What's going on? You know, I'm blessed. I'm supposed to be eternally blessed right now, but I'm not feeling it. He, he's, and he, so he, he said to him, Jesus says in response, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Because <laughs> I'm trying to find out. Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Keeping in mind, he doesn't believe that his riches are the problem, right? He doesn't believe that that's holding him back. In fact, it seems like he would probably be... Um, inclined to believe the opposite, and so that's probably why it's confusing. If I'm so blessed, how come I don't feel like I have eternal life? I have the money. What's going on here? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, 
Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had a great many possessions. I wrote on my notes, Jesus' crazy response. You would think that the response Jesus gave with, why do you call me good, is, is the bad one. Like, why are you calling me good? No one's good. But look, hold on, hold on. I thought Jesus is God, and he's part of the Godhead, and he's God the Son. And, and now he's telling this guy that he's not. And understand, guys, that people can, you, will use that, critics of this, will use that as, uh, you know, this is Jesus right here saying he's not God. And that's blasphemy, and that's, that's not true because Jesus is God. Make no mistake upon that. And it's, it's, I can say I fear. You know, I'll just say without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is not telling this young ruler that he's not God. I believe fully that, that Jesus right in this moment is trying to get that r- young ruler to come to that place to realize who he's talking to, the Almighty God. And as he's, as he's going, he says, why do you call me good? Why do you recognize there's good in me? What do you see? You can't recognize that in yourself and you claim to, that you've obeyed all these commandments. You, But you come to me and you're saying, good, why do you call me good? Think about what you're saying right now to me. Why are you calling me good? He's trying to get him to to realize what's going on here. Jesus trying to, the rich young ruler, I wish it had a name. Jesus is pointing out to the young man that he is good. If God is the only one that is good, then Jesus is telling him that he's God. There is a reason that this man was drawn to Jesus. Jesus wasn't wealthy. You know, the thing, and there must be something going on with Jesus, because a rich young ruler, if, if in fact the way they believe is that you were blessed by God, by, I mean, look at Solomon. Of course they thought that way. You know, it's funny, because they look at Solomon, and Solomon asked for wisdom, and, and Solomon, I mean, what, he was, I don't know, the richest, one of the richest men on earth, even to today, I think. If you break it down, like, he had, I, th- uh, I was listening to David Rosales go through Ecclesiastes, and he was saying, like, he, had, he could have, like, something like 15 cattle and, like, five, this is, you know, from what I remember, something like that. 15 cattle and, like, five lambs for dinner a day. Something, you know, he could, he, like, it was impossible to ha- count all his money at the time. Uh, he, he had, like, three concubines for every day of the year and two wives for every day of the year which apparently the wisdom didn't take, right? And they ended up turning his heart, you know. And so, so of, course the, of course, I could fully see what they would take that and say, well, you, you, to, be, to be rich is to be blessed by God. I get, you know, that, of course that makes sense to him. But Jesus wasn't any of those things. And in fact, if they would have kept reading at the end of Ecclesiastes, what does it say? It says that, it is, that all of that was vanity. That's crazy about Solomon because Solomon, imagine Solomon being able to do anything on earth earth that he wanted. Solomon said he denied himself nothing. Nothing. That means, I mean, if you, if you take that literally and you run with it, does that mean some, he must have done some evil things? Or some pretty selfishly evil things? So obviously, trying to connect wealth to God's blessing in your life is probably not the way to go. Now, don't get me wrong, but maybe you've been blessed with money. You know, maybe God has given you and provided because, you know, you've worked hard and you've earned it and you're, you're good at budgeting. And, you know, it's not a sin to have, you know, to have money. It says the money is the root of all kinds of evil. But I don't care what you do or what you are. 
you need to be obedient to what God is telling you. And we were, we're in, in small group, we're still talking about, we're still talking about giving because we move at a snail's pace. Because when you have an open discussion Bible study, you get nowhere. Like, <laughs> my one year, um, my, you know, on the Facebook, when it says, it gives you every, updates every day on what you did last year, it's like, we were barely in 1 Corinthians, and now we're in 2nd. I'm like, man, we're not getting anywhere. Anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you that. But we're talk, it's talking about giving, and you know, it's funny, like Paul's talking to the, um, the Corinthians, and, and if, as you read, it's, it, his, his at, Paul's attitude in Second Corinthians to the Corinthians is, is good-humored, and it's kind of sarcastic, you know, he's telling him, to, he's, it's like he's telling him to give, like as, as being sarcastic, like, you know, you guys better give, but he thinks it's, sarc- it's sarcasm because he knows that they will abundantly, and, you, and, and he goes with, the, you know, them giving and how, you know, it's just one of those things that God expects you to give, and then it's going to the Jewish community, the Jewish church, because the Jewish church was suffering, because you got to, you know what they, I, I was listening to um, a pastor, and he was saying, um, speaking of why the Jews were suffering, and why they needed gifts, and why they needed, uh, um, you know, a gift from the Corinthians, and I think the Macedonians, was because to a Jew, when you, when you converted to Christianity as a Jew, their, their family would have funerals for you. Isn't that crazy? Like, you're, you're, you're dead. You're gone. They, like, the Jew, the, the Christian cult, if you will, I'm not saying we're cults. I'm saying like to a Jew, Christianity is a cult that is a direct attack upon Judaism. You know, we just crucified this guy. You know, and so they, so imagine like you're not able to work, you're not able to go to Jewish functions, which was a very important part of the Jewish community. They were completely reliant upon God in the early church in, in Israel in Judea. Completely. They were completely reliant on, that's why they had to pull everything together, and the money came down. That's why when, it, when you know, Rome kind of came down, they split, and, even, and Christianity kind of took off even more. And so it's just folly. It's just, it's just, super, it's just superficial things, and it's good if you're to be responsible, but at the end of the day, we need to be obedient to what we do have and what God has for us and what he wants us to do with it. And he asked them, what he was trying to get there, why, why do you say I'm good? This rich young ruler, he, uh, Jesus, and he's going to Jesus, and it's not like they're on the same level. Jesus doesn't rule anything. This man was drawn to Jesus' soul um, for a reason. Jesus wants him to see it. Why do you call me good? He wants him to see his sinfulness. Jesus asked this young man if he kept the commandments because Jesus wants him to see that he is a sinner that needs Jesus, that needs, Jesus, that needs him. Salvation is a, washing of, oh, is a washing of sin. Without salvation, we are lost and sinners. This young man was missing salvation. This young man was missing the Lord. He had everything. He was on a good path. And I think as Jesus brought these things up, you shall not commit, commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal and bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's ridiculous that this man said, I have I have." kept all those things because in Romans chapter 3 verse 10 it says as it is written there is none righteous no not one it continues on it says like not no one seeks after God in our flesh my wife and I were just having this discussion today on the way here and it's um, you know talking about the differences between spiritual attack and when you're when you're just being Sean you know like when when you're just just us as evil people because we have a tendency of humanity to say, you know, people are, people are basically good. And 
how, how on earth can you say people are basically good? I mean, I get the desire to say that. We, want, we would hope that, but I mean, seriously, if we were to all, even right at this second, take out our phones and go through like CNN, Fox News, or whatever news outlet, I'm sure you can find some pretty terrible evil things going on in the world. We're not good. We're sinners. In the eye of God, we're sinners. And we're, we, were, we were talking about, Lindsay and I were talking about that, like, I don't think the devil needs much help. Or, you know, at least he doesn't need much, we probably don't need to blame him a lot as we think, or whatever demonic force may be in our lives. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. That'd be ignorant of me to say that. And it does happen, and it's a very, very real thing. I saw a comic once where it, it showed uh, this guy did something wrong. He's like, the devil made me do it. And in the next strip, it showed, the, it showed the devil crying, said, I didn't even do anything. And I thought that was perfect. It's because we, we're perfectly capable of lusting and breaking each and one of these commandments on our own because we're flesh. But we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have salvation, and, and, and we have a grace that runs deep. We have that love that runs deep, and our sins have been completely washed away. And Jesus is saying, look, these things you have broken. He wants, he's trying to get him to be honest with himself. He's trying to get him to reflect inward and see what's going on with him. The young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still like? He said, sell everything. The, the, the ruler may seem to be good, but he is a sinner that needs salvation. We can think we are basically a good person. Why we ask that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you can reason um, that it is a fallen world and the devil, um, and that the devil did it, but the answer is more simpler than that. It's Romans 3.10. There's none righteous. We're sinners. You know, it's, it's, it's insane to think about. You've got to think, like, God, the intent of God, you know, he made Adam in his own image. We're, we, are, we are made in the, um, in the image of Almighty God, and we're restored back to that image, I believe, through, the, through Christ Jesus, through the Son, right? Restored in the image of God. And, uh, <clears throat> and, 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 you know, God made Adam, and he made a garden, and everything was perfect. There, you know, there wasn't death or sin or suffering. It was, it was fantastic. And, you know, we got, he gets, Adam gets a wife, and I can imagine that very first marriage. I mean, me get, you know, when, when Lindsay and I got married so long ago that, um, pause for laughter, no. When we got married, so, you know, it wasn't that long ago, so it's, it's, it's I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying, I remember that joyful feeling, like, as if it was, you know, a couple weeks ago. But, you know, I'm sure, my, I'm sure you do, too. You got married. You know, you, you, you know that, that amazing, wonderful feeling. I can imagine what Adam felt on his first marriage to Eve. Like, this is awesome. She's gorgeous. She looks nothing like me, but she's shaped kind of the same, you know, whatever. And just the perfectness and the love and the family and the relationship. I mean, I mean keeping in mind that Adam and Eve got to walk with the Lord, walk with him and talk with him, you know, voice to voice hearing his voice in their ears every day through the garden. And then sin enters in, right? We have, we have the serpent, you know the story of Genesis. Does, did God really say this? And, and, and the enemy challenging God's word and all that. And then sin enters in. And man, sin hits hard and sin hits fast, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's just crazy because, you know, Adam and Eve go from this perfect to now there's weeds, they get... They get thrown out of the garden. There's, a, there's an angel with a lightsaber, it seems like, you know, the fiery sword. And, uh, and then it goes from, like, Adam and Eve, like, disobeying eating a fruit to, uh, to, to their son's full-on murderer, you know, <laughs> Cain and Abel. 
and you see how sin, sin got so bad, sin is so bad and so rapid, spiritual and physical rapid decay in our lives that like, I mean, look, in Genesis, the whole earth gets wiped out except for Noah. My point is, is how bad sin is. And for this man to say, I've been perfect, so I don't understand why on earth I don't have eternal life is pride. And pride is the reason that Satan got thrown out of heaven. There's not an ounce of pride in the Lord. And in all of his humility, in all of his lovingness, Jesus is telling this young man, you notice Jesus is not saying, yeah, right, and it's sin. Remember I said, did you commit this? <laughs> you know, did you honor and father your mother? Your mother remember what you, you know, he didn't go at him. And just in love, he says, sell all you have then. He addresses the problem, and it's pride. Pride that's having this man hold on, hold on to, uh, to his things. I say, I say, why do we get anything good as sinners? It's, it's, I, wrote, I, was, I was writing here, you know, what, you know, maybe you can reason that it's a fallen world and, and that, you know, why do good things happen, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? It's, it's, seeming, it's funny when you become born again, it could be like, why do I get good things in, in the first place? I'm evil and rotten. But it's, it's the delight of our Heavenly Father who we, you know, who's, who's very much in love with, with us. The Lord Jesus singing over us and dancing over us and, and just, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But like, you know, you can see why, why I don't understand why bad people get anything good. We say that we are good, but the world says, but uh, the word says we are not. That's why we need salvation and that's why we need the cross. And that's why the cross is offensive because it says you are evil and that you need your sins washed away. And people don't like to be called evil when when they think they are good. And it's, it's the same exact thing that's going on right here. Jesus is essentially saying, one thing you're not good at, sell these things. The thing that you think is making you holy, the thing that you think is connecting you to God, get rid of that and follow me and you'll have what you feel you're lacking. And this man could not do it. He could not give up his pride. It's funny because the Lord did exactly what this guy, well, he didn't sin, but the Lord did what, what this guy couldn't. He gave up all his, his, his blessings, all his, I don't want to say earthly possessions, because first of all, the earth is his and everything thereof in it, right? But um, he gave up his throne, you know, seemingly just stood, stepped down from it. He gave up heaven. He gave up, you know, the protection of all those angels, like he needs it, but all those protection of the angels and, you know, diamonds and jewels everywhere and you know, you know, whatever, the dust in heavens, gold flakes, you know, that kind of thing. He stepped down from that into, you know, into earth. This man didn't. So give up those things that are keeping you from God. You are worshiping. That is your idol. That is your pride. And people don't like that. He didn't like that. And people don't like that. You go, you, you go out of here and say, you know, I'm going to go street witnessing um, what not, Sunday night, you know, after this message. And you go and go, hey, you're evil. You know, people are going to get kind of offended. But, you know, just even realizing in a loving way, people don't like that. Jesus is trying to get this young man to put down his pride, realize that Jesus is God, and realize that he is a, he is a sinner. The young man doesn't believe that and misses it. And uh, if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter um, 3. I was going to say Galatians chapter 19. Galatians chapter 3. Picking up at verse 19. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says, this is 19 through 25, What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the, um, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not me, uh, mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the, prom- the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scriptures have confined all under sin, that the promises by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, key here, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now we are, and this is just now me talking, now we have a relationship. It says the law is a tutor to show us that we need salvation. If you were to leave here tonight and just to see what, what it was like, start like just take a week or something, or maybe take the year. Don't do this. I'm just just hear me out. Take a year and 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 follow you know the law, the Mosaic law. You'd probably come back after that year and, and punch me or something. <laughs> this, that was crazy. That was you know that was bondage. But what you know what that whole thing did? What the law did? It showed that we are not inherently good. That we needed that law. That, 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 that we needed that law because we needed that law to show how rotten we are, how sin needed to be constantly covering us and pointing us, not the sin covers us, the, the sacrifice for sin to cover us, and point us to Jesus Christ. So this young man saying he is good and kept the law reveals that he believed that. He probably thought that he kept the law and that is why he is blessed. That's why he had those things. That's, why, that's what the, the theology at the time showed him. It was such a mind-blowing thing to him when Jesus said sell the things that you have and give it to the poor the show of the law was more important than the heart of the law and that was the personification in this young ruler Paul says at the time as a Pharisee that Paul when he saw the saw the Pharisee that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees that Saul would Saul kept the law um sorry I lost my place and, so, and that, and that he would. Paul says that in the time of the Pharisee, that he kept the law until until you know he'd keep the law. He went through. He was very proud of his of, of his achievements in the law, and he probably thought like this young ruler. And he says until I got to the part of "Thou shall not covet," and it slayed me because that was his problem. That's what was wrong with Saul. Is that is is that he he coveted, and it, and it showed that he was a sinner. Though it was doing good till he got to that command, thought he was doing good till he got to that commandment. The law, though, the law worked on Paul in that he realized he was a sinner. This man thinks he is keeping the law and can't understand what he's lacking. Jesus keeps pressing into his heart to get him to that place. Jesus is trying to get money, isn't trying to get money here, but trying to show the young man that the young man what was keeping him from the Lord, what he was lacking. When we feel that we are lacking, it should be an indication that we aren't serving God. In salvation, there is peace, joy, and love. Serve the Lord, not yourself. Bitterness is the wrong God. Selfishness is the wrong God. 
These things cause us to serve the wrong thing and causes us to feel like we lack something when we're, when we're, when we're, when we're serving those things. We, we have received salvation, but sin separates us from fellowship with God because serving yourself like the rich young ruler um, did is the wrong God. You can, you, can't, you can know the living God and need salvation, but still have a giant hole in your, if your worship is misplaced. And that's something we need to realize here as born-again believers, is we can get caught up in these things still. We can get caught up in the riches of this world. It's nice to have nice things. It's, you know, it, it, it could seem like a, a blessing from the Almighty when we have a lot of, a lot of money. And I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing that. I'm saying that your worship needs to be placed in the proper perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ and your salvation and being obedient. If you have wealth, don't trust it. Trust God in Christ Jesus. Praise God if you do have wealth and trust Jesus because it is difficult. Peter has a light that switches on here. As we continue on, we see um, in verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. little something for you Bible scholars here. Um, there's a gate in Israel called um, the eye of the needle. And it's very narrow, and you have to, if you have a camel, you have to take off a bunch of the things and to fit the camel through it. And a lot of people, a lot of people say, well, that's what Jesus is referring to. Now, I, I get that, but if you look up what Jesus is saying, need, needle here, he's referring to a sewing needle. And, and in fact, if you look at what Luke uses, in the, I think in the Greek, the eye of the needle and the needle, he's talking about a surgical needle. So Jesus is making that ridiculous point that it's harder for, for a person who trusts completely in his riches to enter the kingdom of heaven because that's where his trust is in. And so he's, he's making that point. And so when his disciples heard it, they, they were greatly astonished, saying, who, can, who then can be saved? Because remember, to a, even like they said that about who can be married, because divorce was so easily obtained and it was okay in their minds. Again, they have the, they have the philosophies and theology of that day in them. Well then, if, 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 we're, if, if being rich is a blessing from God and it's turning out that's not so, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them, you know, and Jesus, as he's looking at them, he realizes how their brain's kind of starting to connect it, why they're panicking a little bit. Well, you know, I can't be married then. And I, if, if we're not going to be rich, then who can be saved? I don't get it. Jesus, Jesus looked at them and he said, you know, he's, he's letting it work out, it seems. You know, that with men, guys, he's saying, guys, you know, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then right here, once again, I think Matthew had a problem with Peter because he keeps like blasting him out in, in his letter. But he says here, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what do we get? What shall we have? So Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, will, you who have followed me will also sit on sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, I think here, as, as I said before, whenever Peter says something, I think Peter's kind is kind of starting to get it. You know, at least in his head. You know, he, remember, when he, remember back when he said, when Jesus says, do you, do you also want to leave? And Peter said, you know, where else shall we go? You have the words of the eternal life. You are the son of the living God. And you know, Jesus says, blessed, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, you know, for that wasn't revealed by yourself. That was given from the Father. I think, I think that's something that's going on with Peter here. It's, it's, it's very, 
easy for, for us Bible teachers and to kind of make fun of Peter in these moments and bash him. But I just truly, genuinely, as Sean, I think that, I think that Peter's just like, wait, 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 hold on. We gave up everything, right? He's probably looking, imagine he's looking around. I don't know if he did that, but like, like, hey, you know, hey, right? You know, hey, brother Andrew, you know, (laughs) what did we get? And then Jesus flat out tells him, this is what you get. And everyone in verse 29 who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. And so everything, it comes down to a worship problem, a worship deal. It comes down to putting our trust in the Lord. And we see as we do follow the Lord that there's treasure in heaven. And, 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 and etern- in, in the aspect of looking at that, guys, eternal life does start now. And if you look at that as you're in the kingdom of heaven, that you're born again now, and you're just dealing with the things that the Lord has given you and being obedient to where those things go and raising your children in the way that they should go and following the Lord Jesus, I think that your, your eternal life is going to be blessed because even right here, there's, there's a blessing. Even right here, Jesus says there is a reward. In fact, he, he flat out tells them you know, there, that uh, you will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, that must have been insane for them to hear that. You gotta keep in mind, Jesus is, or Jesus, Peter is, Peter and Andrew, Simon and Andrew were dirty fishermen. So was, uh, so was John and James. I don't think they ever, I mean, they were, they were like not only dirty fishermen, they were from um, the area, that area of the Galilee, right? It was like, again, I heard that was, it's like the equivalent of being with, being from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, you know, with that accent. They would have been noticed. In fact, but later on, when Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin, uh, they, you know, they, they call out Peter for sounding like he's from that area and looking like a follower, you know. And so to them, that, that, must, that, that, that made no sense. They never could imagine that wealth. They, you know, like I said, when Peter was fishing all night, he wouldn't have done that if he didn't have to do it, you know. And so to hear that and to see that, that must have stuck with them. And I, I'd imagine there would be an excitement there, and I think we can have that excitement about our eternal life. I think we can have that excitement about our reward in heaven. But you know what? In that aspect, we have that reward now when, we do, when we're discipling each other, when we're fellowshipping with one another, and when we're with each other in the Lord. When we, when we go with it, go through it with each other, when we're going through hard times, but also when we're going through it with each other, when we have blessings going on, when we're tied together, when we, you know, I think part of our heavenly reward, we get those little dividends now through fellowship. Because I think that's a, big, a bigger indication of the fellowship that we're going to have in heaven. And I think that's part of what the goodness that leads the sinner to repentance is, is the way that we treat one another. And so I think we have that now. And there must have been, a, there must have been an indication in the Lord to what Peter's heart kind of was, because I'm sure once he told him he was going to sit on thrones, Peter's like, oh, right, that's awesome. Because then what does he say in verse 30? He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. I think he's just kind of telling Peter, you know, just relax a little bit. And so this man, this man missed it. And I think, I think this rich young ruler would have been a fantastic asset for the Lord, not because of his things, but because of the things that he could have, could have um, given up and done for God. And, you know, what if we had, and we're not, but what if we had been reading a story about his repentance and him coming to the Lord? 
and him, you know, and what, what did God have for this man that he, you know, that he didn't do? And I don't know, maybe later on he, you know, it, it kind of like struck him and he's like, I should have done that. And he got saved. We don't know. I can't judge that. I'm commanded not to. Um, but so we never know. But it could have, he could have at this moment, but he didn't. But you can now in this moment. You can, you can follow the Lord. What is God commanding you to give up and sell to the poor per se and follow him? What's, what's, what's standing in front of your way with the Lord right now? What's an idol in your life? Or what's, what's a pride in your life that the Lord wants you to give to him and give up and get rid of so that you can follow him more effect, effectively? It's, it, 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 isn't just the, um, it isn't with the, just these great men of the Bible that we are blessed. Trust God with all your life. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what, um, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove what is acceptable. We need Jesus. We need to make disciples. So what's holding you back? What is the pride in your life with, with the example of the rich young ruler? Because just because it's a superficial thing, it doesn't mean necessarily, a, it's, just because it's a great superficial thing, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a blessing from God. Obeying Jesus is, is what we ought to be doing. Obeying the Lord. And in that, making disciples. Because we look here, and like I said, it amazes me because no matter what, Jesus always addresses these men that he's with. He deals with the rich young ruler, then he turns around and he explains, them, explains to them what they're getting in heaven for following him. He gives these parables and he turns around and breaks it down for these, for these apostles that are following him. Anything he does, at any point, if they ask Jesus a question, he answers 1,000% honestly, even if he doesn't know. Like when his, the come, his return is, you know, only, he says, I don't know. Only, only the, I think, obviously Jesus gets to heaven. I think he, I, I believe he knows now. But then he didn't know. And he was saying, I don't know. Only God the Father knows that. You know, and the point is, guys, here as we close, and the ending of this is that Jesus was making disciples. And I think we need to do that too. But I think Jesus wanted to do that in that young man's life when he went to him and said, good teacher. I think he was telling that young man, why do you call me good? So that the young man could say back, because you are God. I think, he, I think Jesus is trying to get into that place. But thankfully, and I think we have a blessing in this tonight, we know that Jesus is God and that we are saved by him. And we are, in fact, blessed. Father God, Lord, we just come before you once again, Lord. And we just, I just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would, um, Lord, take away our idols, Lord. Take away the things that are prideful in our lives, Lord. And help us keep our eyes on you, Lord, this week. And Lord, as we, as we constantly seek you, Lord, help us, to, help us to show others your love, Lord. Shine through us, Lord, this week. Lord, we love you. We, we only seek after you, Lord. And we, I, I just ask for a blessing upon everyone here, Lord. There's, I think a lot of people are getting over, I know I am getting over being sick, Lord. And I just pray for health tonight, Lord, that you would uh, heal any lingering colds or anything, Lord. If, it's, if it pleases you to heal us, Lord, that you would do that, Lord. But for the purposes that we can serve you better, we thank you for who you are. We love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we all stand. Um, I don't know who's teaching yet, but um, Josh, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel brought my bot.